Okay, let's do a university challenge thing for a moment. Here is your starter for ten. Here we go. What would you, if you were asked, what would you say is the greatest danger facing the church in the United Kingdom today? There's your starter for ten. Your hands on the bar. Where are you going to go? The greatest danger facing the church in the United Kingdom today. I think if we surveyed this group of people in here, surveyed the congregation just now, I think we might find a variety of answers to that question. Is that true? Some of us might see that, see that one of the greatest threats to the church is actually in here. It's actually ourselves. Would you say that? That actually our tendency as Christians to fight with each other and bicker with each other, it so weakens our gospel witness that the greatest threat to the church is actually our own wicked heart. Some of you might say that. Would you say that? Others might take a different view. Some of you might say that the greatest threat to the church is actually out there, it's from outside in, that our, what we call it, our post-Christian culture, the secular society in which we live, that that is maybe what you would say is the greatest threat to the church. Is it? Well, this morning, what God does in his word is he confronts you and I with what he tells us is one of the most, one of the foremost dangers that the church faces today. And I think, personally, what God says to us in Scripture is really remarkable. Tell you why. Because today God tells us about a danger that we very, very seldom consider. Isn't that something... A danger that God spells out very, very clearly in his word, but it's a danger facing the church that we very often overlook or ignore. So given the solemnity, I think, of this, like the gravity of the subject matter this morning, I don't want to waste any more time on introduction. I want us to get our teeth into this portion of scripture, to hit the ground running. So you have your Bible there in front of you. If not, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, as we consider the first of what is only two uh, headings this morning, and we consider the danger disclosed. The danger disclosed. You got the Word of God in front of you, friends, yes? The danger disclosed. Okay, now, with advances in uh, social media, it's true, isn't it? that you and I are kind of bombarded with uh, warnings and cautions nearly every day of our lives. Isn't that right? On Facebook and on Twitter and any paper you read, there's nothing but warnings, like warnings about specific food or warnings about politicians. Everywhere. Now, I think we tend to ignore most of these warnings unless they come to us in one of either a couple of different or they meet a couple of different, one of either a couple of different criteria, that we ignore warnings to us unless they come to us from either people that we trust personally or if they come from experts in the field. Isn't that right? It is right, isn't it? The Daily Mail might warn us about the dangers of eating carrots or somebody might stop us in the street and warn us about some element of finance. And we're not going to pay much attention to that, are we? We're not. But what about if a member of your family comes to you 
And somebody who you know cares for you and worried about you and they've got a warning, right? Isn't that different? Or if it's a health concern and a doctor speaks to you, man, he's an expert in his field. Isn't that a little bit different? Suddenly we stop. Suddenly our ears prick up and suddenly we listen. If it's somebody we trust or an expert in the field, and I think that's important right now. Because you consider for a moment who it is this morning that is warning you in his word. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? If you're a Christian in this room, think of it. What does it mean? It means that this is a warning that comes to you this morning from someone who loves you more than anyone else, you know. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you more than any member of your family, more than any friend, more than anyone you know. And what else does it mean if it's the Lord Jesus Christ warning you? This is a caution that comes from someone who knows what he's talking about. The Lord Jesus Christ, Christian friend, he knows your future. He knows exactly what it is that poses the greatest threat to your spiritual well-being in the years to come. Do you see the point I'm making? This is Christ warning you this morning. We should sit up and we should take heed of what he says. Okay, so we know who is speaking to us. We know who is giving us this caution. But what are we asking now? We're asking, what is the warning, right? What is the warning? Well, let's look at it. Look at verse 15. Have a look with me, verse 15. There's more of a who than a what he's warning us about. Isn't that right? Do you see that? I mean, what's the first thing that strikes you there? What's the first thing you notice? Is it the mention of prophets? Is that the first thing that grabs you? That might seem a little bit strange to us because we tend to have this really, really, really simplistic idea about prophets, don't we? What do we think about? We think about Old Testament guys that predict the future. That's what we think about when we think about prophets. But think teaching. Think teacher. Isn't that, in effect, what a prophet was? He heard a word from God and brought it to the people. We think teachers here. And then look down. Look, what's the other side of it as well? Is it just prophets? It's not, is it? It's not, is it? It's false prophets too. From the Greek word, which is pseudo, which means lies, lies, liars, liars. I mean, you begin to hear a message from God this morning here. Like, what is the danger to the church? Is it you? Is it out there? What's this danger? It is men and women claiming to teach from God, but teaching contrary to God's truth. That's the danger here. Men and women claiming to be teachers who are being used by our adversary and Christian friend. Who is that? It is the father of lies. Okay, can I ask you what you're thinking right at this moment, this morning? What are you thinking? Some of you thinking, ah, heard this all before. You thinking that? Maybe if you've been in church for a few years, you kind of think like false teachers, a threat to the church. Like, come on, Andy, we've heard this before. You know, you're beating the drum before. You thinking that? Is that what you're right at just now? Is it? Yes. You've heard it before. I mean, really what struck me this week in sermon preparation is just the amount of times in Scripture 
the Lord God warns his covenant people of false teaching. I mean, it's everywhere, you know, from Deuteronomy to Jeremiah and from Paul to Peter. Scripture is absolutely jam-packed, replete with warnings about false teachers. But this is what I want you to notice this morning. That is not the caution from Christ here. Or at least that is not all of it. Because look again at verse 15, at what Jesus actually says. Do you notice it? He warns, he speaks of false teachers, of what does he call them? Do you notice what he calls them? Ravenous wolves. How does he preface that, though? Look at this. Now, everyone pick up on this phrase. Is it wolves? Is it false teachers? Sort of. What is it? It is wolves in sheep's clothing. Do, do you not see that? I mean, what is the warning from Jesus Christ? Is it a warning about false teachers? Sort of. What's the warning? It's about, listen, false teachers in disguise. That's the warning to you from Christ today. You get it? Like the Christ warning you about people in pews and people in pulpits and people in our Sunday school classes and the people in our seminaries and people who seem to be like us and they claim to be like us. They claim to be sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ and they dress themselves in piety and they adorn themselves in lovely sounding, biblical sounding words. But what are they? They're wolves. Wolves being used by Satan to scatter the flock and to seek to devour the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this warning from one who loves you and knows what he's talking about? Is it false teachers? No. This is false teachers in disguise. Now, I said, if you were here last Sunday evening, I said that Sometimes we face difficulties when we try to apply the Bible. Sometimes the Bible is incredibly easy to apply to us. Sometimes it's hard. I think there is a potential pitfall that we face in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Because I've got a fear as the minister here, right? I've got, I've got a worry, a genuine worry. And it probably says less about you good people than it does about my own heart. But here's my worry. My worry is that, yes, we all agree with what Jesus says there, do we? That there's false teachers dressing up as Christians in the world, trying to lead Christians. We all agree with that, do we? Here's my worry. We agree with that, assent to that, and we only apply it to churches unlike ourselves. Do you see the worry? And we hear this, like the Lord Jesus Christ sent us, oh, you know, there's false teachers, there's wolves in sheep's clothing, and we think of charismatic churches. Is that where you went? And we think of just, ah, this is a warning for the Pentecostal church, being infiltrated by the wolves of health and wealth teaching, the wolves of prosperity gospel. This is a message for them, and it's not a message for the Reformed community. It's not for us. Well, of course, like, you know, there's truth there. Like, we are grossly underestimating the effect that prosperity teaching is having on our city and on people who are purporting to be Christians. We're grossly underestimating that. But this is what I need you to understand. Matthew 7, 15 to 20 is from God 
to us. Do you get that, Christian friends? This is a section of God's word, and it's for London City Presbyterian Church. This is a message from Christ to you. And to, to really stress that and to rest that on us, what I want to do is to suggest a couple of places where I think we are really exposed to this danger. So please get two areas where we are exposed. First is this. We face the danger of false teaching from the online world. Immediately, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I think I've said it to you before, and it's an obvious observation. But we, as Christians, have greater access to Christian teaching than at any other period in human history. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? Like, we have access to more teaching than anybody ever before. Think about our forefathers, right? In church, what would they have had to do to get Christian teaching? They would have had to wait to the Lord's Day, or they would have to wait to a Sunday service before they're getting... What can you do instead of that? You can listen to sermons at the gym, can you? Is that amazing? You know, like we can lie in our beds and do nothing, and yet we can be educated about Christian apologetics, watching a video on YouTube. Can't we? We can download a Christian book for our commute first thing in the morning. It's amazing, the Christian teaching that we can, right at the fingertips there, right there. And don't you see, come on, don't you see the danger with that? Our enemy, the devil, is not stupid. Like he knows that one of the easiest ways to infiltrate the church is through the online world. Isn't that right? Isn't it? I mean, do we not have to think about that in a proper and a deeper way? Do we not have to ensure that we are not just downloading a speaker that we've never heard of before or listening to conferences that we don't know much about? Don't we have to sometimes run what we're listening to by our elders, those who are put over us in the Lord, by the Lord? Do we not have to run these things past these men sometimes? You see it though, don't you? Online, right? I am not trying to scare monger the church. But right now, online, we have wolves. And they claim to be the people of God. They claim to be Christian teachers. And right now, they are hungry. And they are salivating. And they are waiting to devour. And then the second area that we're exposed is this. We face the danger of false teaching. And I say, yeah. We face... The danger of false teaching in the church. In the church. And uh, of course here I mean, and I include London City Presbyterian Church. I include this. Like I, I exhort you to ensure that you take everything that I say and everything that Harrison says and everything that the elders teach and you examine that under the light of Holy Scripture. So I include London City Presbyterian Church in this. But I also mean elsewhere. Because what do we always talk about in this church? We always talk about how transient this community is. My One of my predecessors uh, was fond of saying this about this church. So he was a minister here before me. And he said that being a pastor in this church was like being the pastor in a railway station. 
because of the constant traffic and people coming and going and coming and going. We always talk about how transient we are as a community, don't we? And I know, like I'm standing here, and I know that 80% of you, will I go to 90% of you, won't be here in three years' time. Like you'll be at different parts of the world. You'll be in a different city, a different area, a different town. All of, all of, we're a transient. Do you see the temptation you face? Move into a different city, move into a town. The temptation is for you and I to take a convenience approach to church. Move in a city, move into a town. Why? How do we choose the church? We choose often on proximity rather than theology. Isn't that the temptation for us? Move into a new city. We've got lots of traveling to do. We've got lots of things to do. I'll choose my church. I'll choose where I worship on proximity rather than theology. Do you not see the danger there? We have to be so careful with Christian teaching. We have to be so careful with the church, with the teaching we expose ourselves to and our children to. Because I'm not scaremongering. There really are false teachers in the world. there today in churches and they are desperate should it be possible to lure the people of God away from Christ Jesus? So we see the danger disclosed. And then, two headings this morning. The second heading is the danger identified. The danger identified. Um, I am useless with dates. But I reckon it was about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I could keep going, 14 years ago, uh, that my wife and I decided we were going to move house. So at this point in time, we were living in the centre of a city. We were living in the centre of Edinburgh in Scotland. And we decided that we were going to move out of the city and we were going to move a little bit north in Scotland uh, to a place called Inverkeething. Um, and so we got the house sorted out and we were going to move and we we're just about to move. Had everything packed up when a friend of mine spoke to me and he gave me a warning. Uh, my friend said that this house we're about to move into, he said, is the type of house that is prone to decay. So everything's packed away and everything's signed and sealed. And he said that the house that we're about to move into, because of its location, because of its age, because of its construction, that was the type of house that was always prone to getting damp. Now, if that had been the only thing my friend had said to me, it wouldn't have been the most helpful thing in the world to say to a person, would it? You know, I'll see this house you're moving into tomorrow. It's rubbish, you know. It's a hopeless house. If that had been the only thing that he had said to me, I wouldn't have been that happy. But it wasn't the only thing he said to me, because my friend went on to tell me how to identify the problems in the house should they occur. You see it? Like my friend spoke to me and said, yeah, like it's prone to decay. Let me tell you what you've got to be on the lookout for. And then he, you probably know more about this than I do maybe, but he said, you know, if you go in the house and the wallpaper is bubbling in the corner, or if the skirting boards are coming away from the wall, you know, or if there's mildew appearing in the house, you say to me, Andy, then you'll know there's a problem. There's a problem with that you've got to kind of deal with. Right now, do you see where I'm going? I'm lost my mind. Do you see what I'm doing? Isn't this what the Lord Christ does for us this morning? I mean, you understand that, do you? The Lord Jesus Christ does not just issue you a warning about false teachers this morning. What is Christ doing? He is equipping you as a Christian 
to identify the problem of false teaching should it occur. Now, do, do you see how he does it? If you don't, look at verse 16 with me. The boys and girls can do that as well. Have a look at verse 16. Do you see what Jesus does? He changes metaphor, doesn't he? He's now talking about trees. And what does he say? <clears throat> he says that just as bad trees bear always bad produce... Good trees, how can you rely on a good tree? Because you know a good tree will always bear good produce. What's he saying? He says, you and I can recognize false teaching by the fruit of these teachers, right? Now, let me just, let me speak to you personally, just for a, a moment or two. This section of scripture weighs really heavily in my heart. And I bet my life in it that it's the same for every elder in this room that they feel the responsibility when they get to Matthew 7 verse 5. Can you see why that might be the case? Like what does the Bible say about my role? I'm an elder or what is it? A shepherd. And what are we to do as shepherds? We're supposed to feed the flock. We're supposed to lead the flock. What else are elders supposed to do? We're supposed to protect the flock from wolves, from false teaching. So can you see what question I might be asking right now? Come on. What do I need to know and what do you need to know? Can you, can you see if we can identify false teachers by their fruit, what do I need to know? What do you need to know? What sort of fruit should we be looking for with false teachers? Isn't that what you want to know here? Isn't it? Well, given the gravity of this, again, let me just spell out two types of fruit we need to be looking for, looking for all the time. First is this, we can identify false teaching by the fruit of their character, their character. And here, will you just excuse me while I speak to the the younger people in the room, for the boys and girls, just for a moment? So if there's any sleeping children, you're going to have to get a wee nudge. Am I right in thinking that a few years ago, this is maybe for the older kids a little bit, that you were taught a song in Sunday school about the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah. You got it? You're maybe reluctant to say yes because you're thinking, he's going to make us sing it. (laughs) He is. He's that type of cruel man. He's going to make, I'm not going to make you sing the song about the fruit of the Spirit. I want to ask you, boys and girls, can you remember from Sunday school on what that song was based? The adults know the answer. Galatians 5, isn't it? That portion where God in his word reveals the type of fruit that's displayed by a regenerate heart. That if we are truly in Christ, what is shown is love. Isn't that right? And joy and peace and patience. Now, does that not help us right now? Because are we concerned that there's false teaching in our lives? Are we concerned? What do we do? What do we need to do? We need to assess the character of these teachers. Is there love and is there joy and is there peace and is there patience or is there not? And is there actual fact, sexual immorality there? We identify, we look at the character. Is there impurity there? Is there the, the, the license and sin, promotion of that? Is there the demand for loyalty 
from those they teach? Is that there? Is there envy? Is there ego? Is there pride? If so, the alarm bells go off, do they not? We need to be on the lookout for the fruit of these men's character. But I love, as you know, I love John Calvin. And I love what John Calvin does here because he's brutal. (laughs) At this point, John Calvin is incredibly blunt here because he agrees with us that we should be on the lookout for the fruit of a teacher's character and assessing that. But then he goes on to say, and that is not enough. Not if. And his logic is clear. Because he says, friends, Christians can pretend. Teachers can pretend. Teachers, Christians can pretend to be holy. Can pretend to be loving. Can pretend to be joyous. Pretend to be loving. All these things. And so what Calvin does is say, no, there is another type of fruit that we need to be on the lookout for. So do you want to know what that is? Do you? Type of fruit to be on the lookout for? You get to work with me and turn to Matthew 12, verse 33. Have a look at that. Now, we're nearly closing with us, so have a look. Matthew, just a few pages. Matthew 12, verse 33. You got it? Do you see? Ah, do you see it? The parallel. Do you see it's using, the Lord Jesus is using the same metaphor again. Do you notice that? He's using trees that bear fruit. It's the same thing. But look at verse 34. Halfway through that verse, out of the abundance. Look there. What is the fruit this time? Do you see it out of the abundance of the heart? The mouth speaks. What's the fruit? Friends, the fruit is the actual words that are spoken. Do you see how that helps us? Are we concerned that there's false teaching? We assess the character. We assess their lives. What do we also need to assess? The actual, the fruit of the actual teaching that these men and women are actually saying. And you can see that, can you? Like in these people we're assessing, are they denying, let's say, the Sermon on the Mount? You listening to a teacher that denies the need for poverty of spirit, listening to a, a teacher that, that, that denies that you need to be salt and light in the world. What do you know about that teacher? Let me be really blunt. Let me follow after Calvin just for a moment. Let me be blunt. What do you know about that person? They are a false teacher, pure and clear. Or is that person that you've been listening to, are they denying the seriousness of sin? Now you, if you know your Bible, you know that right throughout the word of God, that is a telltale sign of false prophecy, isn't it? And the teachers who say that sin is not that serious, you don't have to worry about your sin in Jeremiah, isn't it? Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Is that what this person is saying? False teacher? Or what about the last one here? What is that great scriptural test of false teaching and false prophecy? Is that person you were tempted to listen to denying the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that person casting doubt on the fact that Jesus Christ is eternally the second person of the Trinity? Then we can say surely that person is a false teacher, a false teacher. Now, you can see what I'm saying. I do not want us to become a group of heresy hunters. You know, that real horrible tendency in reform circles to be on the lookout for the tiniest mistake. No. But you and I do need to look out for bad fruit. 
And we can identify it by the fruit of the character and by the fruit of the words they say. And then I'll end with this. Do you know, like, if, if you're not a Christian in here just now, if you're not born again in the Lord Jesus Christ, you might think this is all a bit out there this sermon, and you certainly might think if you're not born again in the Lord Jesus Christ that this is not for you. And maybe that's true. Like, this is a message for the church of God. But there is a message here for you if you're not a Christian this morning. You see, in his word, in this book, what God does, if you're not a Christian, listen. What God does is he reveals your predicament in this book. You ready? You ready to hear what that is in a nutshell? That through your first forefather, through Adam, through the one who represented you before God, do you know what's happened to you? Do you know what you've done through Adam? You have eaten bad fruit. You understand that, my friend? If you're not a Christian, that in the fall in the Garden of Eden for all of mankind, that we've acted with Adam. We've eaten the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does that mean? We have inherited, in our birth, we have inherited a sinful nature. And it's a nature that separates you from God. You've inherited a nature that renders you an enemy of God, destined to face the same fate as these false teachers here, which is what? To be cut down by God in the last. That is your predicament if you're not a Christian here. But do you know why God does that? Do you know why he reveals that in his word? I think it's to point you this morning to good news. You ready for the good news? You ready for it? That there is another tree that bears fruit. Where's that? A friend, over 2,000 years ago, outside Jerusalem, on Calvary Hill, there was a tree planted in the ground. And it was a tree that breaks all the rules. A tree that though bad, and a tree that though cursed, is a tree that bears the most glorious and beautiful fruit. And you surely see what I mean. That through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sin-bearing death on that cross, on that tree, then you today can be cleansed of your iniquity. Isn't that amazing? You today can be given a new heart. You today can be reconciled, an enemy no longer, but reconciled to God. Isn't that good news? Isn't it? So what are you going to do this morning? God, in his gospel, by his good news, he holds out through Jesus Christ good fruit. Will you not take? Will you not eat? Will you not bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and confess your sin to him and a long, long, long last enter into the fold, enter through the gate and become one of the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, let's bow our heads and let us pray. Gracious God, and we pray that to you in all seriousness. Gracious, good God, we thank you for your concern for us.
We thank you that you do not merely redeem us and leave us to our own devices, that you care so much for our Christian health that you provide us with warnings about what we must be on the lookout for. Lord God, we ask that you would help us as elders in the church, those here, to be shepherds in the way that you want. But we ask that you would help us all to be on the lookout for wolves in sheep's clothing, those who claim to be in Christ and yet who lead many, many, many people astray. Lord, we thank you that there is one true and great shepherd. And we praise you for the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we pray all of these things in his perfect and matchless name. Amen.